welcome back to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. I am Ben Standard. I host this podcast and I write about the Washington football team for The Athletic. Excited to bring you guys another podcast. This episode, Kevin Clark from The Ringer, one of the the more interesting NFL writers out there. Uh, we talked on Monday, not too long after the, the Alex Smith news uh, broke that effectively he's going to be released uh, at some point. It is I'm talking to you guys Tuesday Tuesday evening. At this moment, he has not been officially released, but I've been told and others have reported as well that that will be happening at some point. So Kevin and I talked for a, a bit, uh, got into... Ron Rivera and analytics. Uh, we talked about wide receivers potentially Washington could add in free agency. Yes, we did talk more about quarterbacks and uh, had some fun with the five questions uh, that, that we kind of do here uh, with our guests. So a, a fun chat with Kevin Clark. I'll get that to you guys here in just a minute. Of course. Oh, let me not forget. I put out the shout out a, a few episodes ago, a couple episodes ago. To everybody to please uh, help out on the ratings and reviews on iTunes. People delivered. I really, really appreciate everybody uh, helping out on that front. A lot of you did, and I honestly uh, appreciate it. Again, they they tell me these things matter. And uh, look, it doesn't help my fragile ego when you guys uh, say nice things. Uh, but I really do appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for that. And of course, thanks to everybody who who, who subscribes to the Athletic. You can do that, of course. And if you if you go to if you are not a subscriber yet, um, you can typically when you click on a story, there is going to be some sort of a discount code there, I, I, or discount offer there. I can't tell you what in advance. It kind of changes, but often you can find like a three ninety nine a month kind of situation. There's a new article. I've got two new articles up um, this week. One is, and I mentioned this one the other day with Grant Paulson, but it's about a 10-step plan for the Washington football team this offseason. One of those steps, number one, was getting rid of Alex Smith. So that worked out. Uh, Second uh, article is about Alex Smith, and I want to talk about this in a second, but about sort of his time here and what do we think is sort of his legacy will be. So you can check that out on The Athletic. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Standig. You can follow Kevin Clark at by Kevin Clark. Um, now, I want to get into a couple things here before we get to the interview. So with regards to Alex Smith, uh, as I said, Kevin and I did talk about it, but we talked about it just more from the practical standpoint of um, of the Washington football team and kind of what this, what this means for them. Um, I, my editor uh, asked me yesterday when the news came out, to write something about Smith's legacy and his time here or something to put a capper on that story beyond, or it could be whatever. I mean, I wasn't given parameters, but I, I just kept trying to think, well, what, what beyond what, the, the, what his comeback was obviously off the charts, crazy, amazing. His leg injury, horrific. And the, and the journey back from that, just incredibly tough. Um, but what else? And I always went back to, when he came here because we know what happened 2018 it kind of came out of nowhere i was literally covering a wizards game i don't remember who it was but it's easy to look up enough on the internet and literally the game had just ended i had just filed my initial story i'm packing up my laptop from where we sit in the in the media section i was packing up my stuff and heading over to um getting ready to, to walk down some stairs and go over 
to where we um, to, to where the press conference is, and I get a note. Or I see on Twitter Alex Smith has been traded to um, to Washington, and it was stunning because typically deals are not made at that part of the NFL calendar. Obviously, this year we had another Matthew Stafford trade around the same time, but generally speaking, trades are pretty infrequent in January, and. What was interesting about it at that time was that we knew that Kirk Cousins was gone, essentially. There was no way that Washington Washington would place a third franchise tag on him. It seemed clear that the two sides were not going to come close to signing uh, any kind of long-term deal if they hadn't already. So what was going to happen? And I wrote then, and more or less to some degree I wrote today about how it always felt to me that that scenario where Bruce Allen kind of made a clandestine move to get Kirk Cousins, I'm sorry, to get Alex Smith, where he really didn't even tell like Doug Williams or, or Jay Gruden, you know, the other people who were kind of running the show until it was going to happen. And it always felt to me like they knew they were divorcing their their significant other, breaking up, and they wanted to be sure that they had somebody in place a new, a new, a new love in place before they did, and Alex Smith became that that person, and it always felt like while Alex Smith, because Alex Smith was, you know, the the game manager, sort of the boring quarterback, right? And he doesn't he doesn't have much of a personality relative to some of these larger than life NFL players like a Cam Newton, or even like a Peyton Manning, and it always felt it was much more about ending breaking up with Kirk Cousins definitively than it was getting Alex Smith. They even gave Alex Smith the contract that they never gave Kirk Cousins. And then, of course, Alex Smith is like just super generic in his, uh, you know, when he's here in 2018, but in terms of a personality standpoint, very close to the vest, doesn't say much. Honestly, I used to, I was at a point in my career where I wasn't being asked to go out to all his press conferences and getting out to Ashburn's a bit of a hassle. So I would... T- tend to skip them a little bit and there were some scheduling reasons why but I never felt I was missing anything he it wasn't very he wasn't quotable he made Kirk Cousins um you know he made Kirk Cousins come across like Charles Barkley from a quotable standpoint uh so I he wasn't he, he never really felt that it connected then the injury happens horrific he disappears essentially for like a year where we don't know what's going on with him and then he um Comes back again. You know, we we'll have to go through the whole thing, but we know what happens. He you know, stuns everybody, but just by even getting a chance to practice a little and making the team and playing and all that. Um, and then the narrative. You know, he takes control of his narrative. He's got first there's the documentary, and then he's you know much more expansive with his comments, but mostly about his journey, talking about the people that helped him along the way, his family, the medical staff at various places, and so on. And now, of course, the season's over. He has the season that he has. They go 5-1 and one in his starts. And he's become much more aggressive lately, particularly that GQ story about what his plans, both in terms of um, wanting to keep playing, but also in terms of how Washington, in his view, um, maybe wasn't that excited about him coming back. And we've gone through that some before here. But it just always, it just struck me that Alex Smith just, it, I never really felt the, con- I don't know if we all, we, I'm not part of the fan base anymore, but I'm sort of collecting we, meaning, you know, anybody who's paying attention really felt that connected to him. Even this year, to be honest, where he's talking more, we had this weird pandemic where 
We're not around the players. So I never have, I haven't been in Alex Smith, in Alex Smith's presence since the end of the 2019 season when he spoke in the locker room and kind of let us know that he still was planning on, um, on playing. So I'm, I'm, I don't know if I just did a good job of explaining kind of what I wrote, but basically it's trying to get a grasp on this guy who they, on the one hand, committed to in ways they didn't commit to the guy he replaced when he arrived, yet simultaneously, I feel like we're going to remember Kirk Cousins on some level a lot more here than we did Alex Smith because for better or worse, he kind of stirred some emotions with us. And Alex Smith, it just didn't quite happen that way. In any event, um, I'm curious what you guys, what, what your thoughts are about about Alex Smith leaving. Um, not in terms of whether it's the right move, you know, in terms of that they, they, you know, now I have questions at quarterback. We understand that. And Kevin and I will get into the some of the names that they could, could consider uh, going with now. And I'm not even talking about whether you think you agree or disagree with his view that the organization perhaps wasn't, you know, was stifling him up front. I mean, the truth is none of us quite know the answer to that, but I, you know, I don't personally, it doesn't seem to me that they, that was the case, but in any event, I'm really just more talking about it as a fan. Did you connect to this person in the way you've connected to others? It's hard to compare to say a John Riggins or a Joe Theismann or a Daryl Green, people who won Super Bowls that, that were here for, for a longer than Alex Smith was. But at the same time, like I said, I mean, Kirk Cousins started, uh, he started more games, of course, because it was, um, more, uh, you know, three full seasons where Alex Smith was you know, only 16 games in total, but you know, he was here for three years. I, and I'm just curious, like what, what's your, you know, what's your sort of positive memory on him beyond the leg injury and the return, but just like, did you connect with him as a player? My sense is people didn't, but it's not a knock on him. It's just the oddity of the circumstance. Both he went away for a while. Um, he's, he's sort of reserved relative to others. And like I said, when he arrived, I just feel like the focus was more on the guy that got away more than it was this new relationship. So anyway, you can read read what I wrote about Alex Smith uh, up on The Athletic. More, of course, to come as we head towards free agency and then the draft next month. Plenty to come uh, come there. A um, couple other things. Uh, there was some report out of the Houston Chronicle uh, that Deshaun Watson, that, that some teams have reached out about Deshaun Watson, but that the Washington football team was not one of them. I don't necessarily care either way. I mean, reach out, I guess, I, I and I, to be honest, I have not really fully read the article yet. I've just kind of been going off of Twitter, which probably really shouldn't do. I would encourage people listening to this podcast not to do that, but for the purposes of this, just hang with me. Um, it was just sort of the point that Washington wasn't, it wasn't part of that. And it doesn't bother me. I know my, you know, my, uh, my, my boss at the Athletic, David Aldridge, wrote a column a couple weeks ago about that um, they should go all in on trying to get Deshaun Watson. And I know others have said that as well. I've, I've gone with the stance for some time that I just, you know, it sounds good, but eventually somebody's going to put a price on the situation. Are you willing to trade Chase Young, Terry McLaurin, Montez Sweat, or whatever to get this done? And if your answer is no, then you can just stop talking about it. That you, There's not enough that's going to happen. Now, I know Houston made the terrible... DeAndre Hopkins trade. So maybe you could be like, well, I mean, maybe who knows what you could get for this guy. And that's fair to a degree, but there is a new person running the show. Nick Casario is coming from the Patriots. I just don't get that. I'm not sure. I believe that he's going to fall for that. And plus everybody, the Deshaun Watson uh, negotiations are simply essentially happening in public. DeAndre Hopkins, I, I get the sense that just nobody really quite knew that, that they were going to pull the trigger. 
So everybody's going to come strong if you're interested in Deshaun Watson. I imagine the Dolphins, the Jets. Sounds like the Panthers are hot and heavy to get a quarterback upgrade. And again, I'm not saying Washington isn't. Clearly they need one, but I just don't think they have enough, especially picking 19 when you have the Jets at two, Miami at three, Panthers eight. Plus, if they're all going to give up, you know, two, three, four, five picks in in whatever high round. Uh, Plus, in the case of the Jets in Miami, they have young quarterbacks to give back if they want. Carolina even has Teddy Bridgewater if you if they want to go that route. Washington doesn't have any of that stuff, so um, it doesn't bother me if they didn't do that. Uh, you know, we'll get it. I'll I'll I'll, I'll refrain from any other um, I'll refrain from any other quarterback talk here uh, because we'll get into that in a minute with Kevin. But just wanted to make that point. I know some of you've got to be frustrated, and trust me, um, I did a TV hit on uh, on the on local uh, Fox Five on Monday. And one of the questions I was asked was, you know, what, what, who's going to, you know, who's going to start? Who's going to be the quarterback? And I joked with uh, Angie Goff, uh, who, who was doing the interview with me, like, hey, Angie, I was going to ask you. But the reality is something happened soon. We're all getting tired of this. It's getting frustrating and old. I mean, not really, because, you know, free agency hasn't even started yet. It won't really start essentially until March 15th. So we still have two weeks. Um, and that's, you know, we expected. But there has been so much activity pre-free agency. It feels like it's going on forever. But uh, it'll happen soon enough, but uh, Deshaun Watson, not to D.C., doesn't surprise me in the least. I would also just note, to whatever degree this matters, Deshaun Watson and Dwayne Haskins were both repped by the same agent, David Mulugeta, before Haskins and Mulugeta uh, separated. And Haskins and, and, and Watson, you know, it seemed like they have a pretty decent relationship. So whatever Haskins was saying about the organization, right, wrong, whatever, I'm sure it was getting straight to Watson, and I don't think that's going to help the cause. So even if he w- and he has no trade cause on top of everything else. In any event, last thing to say, um, it is March second as we're talking. Again, free agency is March fifteenth. I would imagine that we're going to have a press conference with at least Ron Rivera at some point between now and the start of free agency. Um, you're starting to see other teams have that. Uh, I saw the Packers GM spoke today. The Lions head coach and GM spoke as well so uh, and, and i think there's been a few others um so i would imagine that's going to happen but i can't tell you definitively yet because they haven't made a decision on what they're going to do yet uh, ron rivera just got back into town um just in the last couple of days he was out out a bit for on vacation so uh we'll see what what happens on that front i would imagine there's something that, that comes down the pike and when when we get word i'm sure we'll let you know and maybe i'll even like solicit some questions because i have thoughts but you know you're only in your own head. You got to get outside the box. That's why doing mailbags are interesting. And I really should probably do one, if not at least here um, on, on the athletic as well. All right, let's, uh, let's get into this now. Uh, Kevin Clark's a really interesting guy. Uh, write some interesting stuff. I'll, we'll, I'll, I'll say a lot of not light, a lot more nice things about him in just a second. So let's get into it. We're going to talk about Ron Rivera. We're going to talk about quarterbacks, wide receivers, and a whole bunch more here on the Standard Groom Only Podcast. All right. Uh, joining the podcast, as promised, uh, you know him, of course, from his work with The Ringer, one of my favorite video shows online, Slow News Day. He is, of course, Kevin Clark, who's wearing a fantastic Mike Tyson Catskills t-shirt. <laughs> my, first of all, Kevin, I really appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is a completely random story. Uh, the, the Catskill thing. So uh, the people like Mike Tyson's whole story, you know, getting sort of, you know, pulled out of, of where he was living in, in, in yeah. New York and then take it upstate to become this champion boxer. There were like a couple of handlers 
or trainers, whatever. And one of these guys with this guy, Jimmy Jacobs, who nobody would know. I certainly wouldn't have accept that. My father was really into uh, handball, like not racquetball, but like handball. And okay. this guy, Jimmy Jacobs, was like the Babe Ruth of handball. Like apparently he was like world-class, won all the events all the time. And this was the guy that was in Mike Tyson's corner. So every time I wow. see Mike Tyson cap skills, like this is this is what <laughs> this is what I remember. Jimmy Jacobs does come up a lot when you read about Tyson because he, he was just around in the old days. And I think is Jacobs the one who who brought him to to Customato, the trainer. I think I think that that might have been the connection. Maybe. I yeah, I I just know I've I've heard the name many times because I've read a lot about the '80s heavyweights and and it all starts with Tyson and the Catskills. Right. It's a, old school handball is not a sport that gets a lot of play on the athletic or the ring. <laughs> I, I couldn't begin to tell you. I couldn't name one person who's still doing this sport, let alone whatever. It's a terrible. Our sport. Our, our Roger Sherman, uh, who does a great job on everything, including the Olympics um, and also football, he is he thinks handball should be the most popular sport in America. Handball and volleyball. He's like obsessed with those two things. He thinks they should be way more popular. And I, I don't watch enough, but I could I could see the path towards both of them being internet uh, cult sports. Well, now this is getting off topic, but I, this is this is half my podcast. Uh, there's two versions of handball. Now there is when I said like not racquetball, but handball. So if you pick, if you ever played racquetball or picture that the same kind of court and literally you're smacking the ball with your hand, but then there's European handball, which I agree with. If this is what Roger means, I agree that one could actually be, cause I actually do play that one in the Olympics. That one could actually be, or should be a bigger sport. It's all kinds of fun. It has sort of a basketball kind of vibe to it in terms of the passing and you have to kind of and throwing yeah the, throwing ball. that's the one i think rogers talked yeah. he bets on it i believe uh, uh, it's very fun we used to play that in <laughs> we played that intramurals in college uh we were all like what is this sport and all of a sudden we're like oh my god this is so fun uh very very good take uh on his part um well anyway again i really appreciate you being here i really do like what you do with uh the the, the 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 slow newsday shows it, you get a lot in there and you're not even doing it for that many minutes per episode but i like the fact that there is a lot in there it reminds me seriously like i don't always have to talk for 45 minutes to get in good stuff you can do it in like 10 yeah that, that won't matter for this episode or most of my episodes <laughs> but and nonetheless uh how did you like even get determined that that was that something you wanted to do or obviously the ringer does some creative stuff that how did, yeah how did that come about? so in sort of the infancy of the Ringer video department, so this was 2017, um, there was basically an idea that Jason Gallagher, my producer, who actually just left the company a couple uh, months ago, he basically wanted to have me in a diner, just going through the newspaper, drinking coffee and and talking football. A um, couple problems with that. Number one is there aren't really, there weren't really any diners near us. And also like in LA, everything is so, like you have to, pay money to, to film anywhere like if we if we went to a diner they'd be like they know the deal on how to how to charge you for making it a studio right um and so we ended up just doing it on a roof and we we filmed a pilot and it was me and jason conception and um he was the guest and we were just messing around and then bill saw it bill simmons saw it um and liked it and and he was the one that named it he was the one that came up with a bunch of stuff he was the one that put it in the middle of the week instead of later in the week and basically said like let's fill this gap the reason it's called slow newsday is supposed to come out on tuesdays and it's supposed to fill the the gap between monday which is as, as you know ben is is you know coach press conference looking backwards and then wednesday is practice and all that and we're starting to look forward so tuesday is the slow news day in the nfl and bill's idea was let's just have me just kind of riff on whatever and so it was everyone's idea basically I mean, everyone kind of had creative input um whether that was 
uh, Jason, Bill, myself, John Fantasy, Mary Rubin, like all, all the people that, that made the ringer great. I exclude myself from, from that um, that list. But I think that it, it just, for some reason, you know, it, it, people liked coming on. Um, I think in the last two years, players kind of like it um, because they know, okay, they're going to get, they're going to have to give two, three, four substantial answers on football. And then th- they'll do that. And then we're going to talk about television or we're going to talk about you know chris collinsworth talking about gambling on chess because he's into the queen's gambit right like i mean it, it's <laughs> right. it's it's that kind of thing where i think that no one really knows what to expect and what's coming um and i kind of feel like on those zooms a lot of times you probably i mean it's almost some of these players you know you know there, there are certain players andre johnson or mark ingram this year uh who came on where they probably were doing four or five zooms that day. And I think they probably got the same questions over and over again. Um, I, I don't know that for a fact, but I would guess that, you know, Mark Ingram's asked about Lamar and all this stuff. Uh, Andre Johnson's asked about Jack Easterby and Deshaun and all this stuff. And then we did some of that football stuff. And then we also just asked some questions never heard before. Um, and so for whatever reason, I, I, I look around and I'm surrounded by really smart, creative people and they put me in a position to succeed and succeed. And, and I just really enjoyed being able to, to do something different in, in, in football media. Um, and I, all credit goes to them. Oh, very, very good answer. You should definitely, uh, have, you know, clip this and send that to your, to your bosses. So they understand <laughs> you were just very nice to them. Um, but yeah, you, you could tell as, as a progressive, and I, I did like it off the top and then you could tell by the guests you were getting that it was really good. And to, to that point, I'm almost surprised at this point, and maybe it'll happen sooner than later that Ron Rivera hasn't been on. I granted he was a little yeah. busy. He was a little busy. Great question. Great question. Yeah, great point. So Ron has been in many of my print pieces. Um, I've spent a lot of time with Ron, um, starting when I was with the Wall Street Journal and did a handful of profiles for him, especially in the 2014-2015 run when he was uh, universally considered to be one of the top coaches in football. I still believe he is. Uh, have not connected with him since he joined Washington football team. I um, saw him at the Super Bowl last year, um, when he had just taken the job, we talked. We talked for for five minutes, ten minutes, um, and and got to catch up. But I haven't actually spoken to him about his football team and all that stuff. I would love for that to happen. Um, I, I think that he's definitely he's definitely on our list of, of guys we'd love to have on. Well, I could imagine him doing. He he's willing to talk to the media, and yes. he's willing to ha- he's willing to be a, a little playful at, at times. Um, so obviously, I do want to talk to you about you know some so, to, to your point of. Uh, not asking the same guests every question. I feel like most of my podcasts <laughs> lately have been, so what do you think is going to happen at quarterback? At least now we don't have to talk about Alex Smith because as of just a few hours ago, um, right. you know, it's been reported out, myself included, that they're going to remove, move on from him, which seems obvious and all that. So we'll get to all that. But I know you would talk to, you've, you've interviewed Rivera in the past extensively yeah. about during his time at Carolina, how he views yeah. analytics, how the analytics aspect maybe even played a part in, well, did play a part as we all kind of know to, to a degree about his exit from Carolina. Um, and ultimately when we get past the draft, we get past free agency, that's what's going to matter. What does Ron Rivera think and how is this new brain trust with Marty Herney and Martin Mayhew, what are they going to do? Cause you know what I mean? Like whatever, it doesn't matter. None of us know who the quarterback's going to be, but we know who this, who's in charge. So based on when you've talked to him, I guess, like what's your sense? You, you said you, you thought he was a, a really good coach. What's your sense of him and how, He's going to, what, what he's going to do just based on your, your prior conversations with him. Well, he's going to win at some point. Um, and obviously they made the playoffs last year. I don't want to, I don't want to minimize that, but I mean, I, I do think that there will be 
some some substantial winning at some point in the future with Washington football team. I don't know if it's 2021 or whatever. But what I will say is I don't think there are very many people. And it's interesting because I think I surprise people sometimes because I love the analytics side of it and I love the number side of it and kind of the forward thinking and, hey, you can't pass on, you have to pass on first down. You can't run the ball X amount of times, whatever. I'm into that stuff. But I'm also really into culture because the more you talk to to players, the more you realize it matters. Um, and I remember talking to George Kittle about this a couple of last year, actually. And he said, the secret of the NFL is that everyone basically has the same athleticism. Like it, it's, it's, you know, half a second is the difference between the best and worst defensive back or whatever it is, but really the bulk of players and the bulk of pro bowlers, it's, it's all pretty much the same. And it comes down to culture and it comes down to your football education and, you know, a million little things, but it's not just the numbers, right? There's a lot of guys who crush at the combine that, that get to football, uh, get into the NFL and don't do anything. Okay. And so the culture thing to me has really popped up in the last couple of years. And there's no one, I think, that, that cares and thinks as much about culture as Ron Rivera. This first story I did on, with Ron um, was 2015. And it was about how he was obsessed with being in the locker room. Now, I don't know if, if he could do that this year, obviously, with the protocols and all that stuff. But after the um, Richie Incognito, Jonathan Martin, Bullygate, um, going back to sort of an, another era of football scandals. Um, he, he kind of had an epiphany that you're responsible as a coach. And obviously he was a former player and he understood all this stuff, but you're responsible as a coach for what goes on in your locker room, even if you're not there. So his idea was to be the coach in the locker room, sit in the locker, see how everybody's doing. Because a lot of the time, coaches, whether they don't want to relate to their players or they don't, you know, they think that, they think it's their space or whatever. Um, I, I think that Ron saw this as I can, I can create a more harmonious environment if everybody's on the same page, coaching staff and, and locker room. And I thought that was really interesting. And, I, and again, he made the point. He was saying, you know, every, there are a bunch of coaches who say, I'm never going to go in there. Well, you're judged on what happens in there. So you better figure out how to, how to make things work there. And so in talking to Ron about culture building, I, I realized how important it was to him. And, and that's why I think eventually um, this team's going to have a lot of success uh, from the analytic side of it. That's it's the polar opposite. Um, you know, in 2016, uh, there was a, there was a meeting where they basically discussed the future of technology and football. And essentially what happened was there, there was debate about whether or not they're going to use video on the sidelines, tablets on the sidelines, um, how much player tracking could be incorporated on a week to week basis or, or on on game day, whatever. And Ron stood up at the meeting and said, I, I don't think that this is fair. Um, I don't think that this is something that I, I think that I don't, I, if I want to get, if I'm going to get beat, I want to be beat by football schemes and not technology. Right. right. Um, and so he was at that point, I would say on the far end of the analytics debate, he did not want analytics in football. I think he grew. I think from that every because he told me that and because we did that story, um, which you can look up. I think it's called the football is brewing information war. Um, from there, we probably talked every six months when I'd come down to Carolina or whatever. Um, and I think his his analytics education was growing every single time um, to the point that I'd written a piece in 2019 um, about how analytics basically been broadly accepted. And I actually saw him a couple of weeks later, and he told me he'd read the piece, and we had talked a little bit about about how uh, how he had developed an appreciation for it. I don't think he's ever going to be Billy Bean, um, but I don't think he's the guy who's going to say, I'm never, I'm throwing this computer away. I think that there's probably a healthy balance. And I think he's probably found that. He, you, I, I was looking at the 2019 article that you wrote earlier and you, uh, 
you, you, you kind of referenced that he had started to show some change and you mentioned that you know, he's called riverboat ron and right. and, and part of that's not necessarily analytics but it part of it was that i love this part you said that he told you that two things influenced him to becoming the fourth down guru a banker a, a banker he yeah. had at an awards dinner who gave yeah. his dad on fourth down and the new york times is fourth down bot like, yeah that is just hilarious that like that these are the things that come down to why somebody is doing doing what they're doing yeah, he won an award at, at in Kansas City. I forget what it's called. It's it's like it's it's not affiliated with the NFL awards. It was coach of the year thing. He went there, sat next to a banker. The banker was saying he had a had a binder of fourth down information, and he sent it to Ron. And Ron was like, "This is great." And without that, who knows if they if they had the the Panthers had the 2014-2015 kind of you know Cam Newton offensive led thing because the fourth down stuff really did matter um, as far as wins and losses to that to that team um, back then. So yeah, I just one thing I like about Ron and, and what you just said plays into that is he has an open mind and he he wants to talk to everybody. You hear this sometimes about John Gruden. You hear it, you know. I would say I put. And listen, there's a bunch of guys like this, but off the top of my head, someone like Les Need is, is someone like this, where the, if you have an idea or you bring something up, um, they want to hear about it. If I say, hey, you know, I was reading this article in form, you know, I'm, if I'm asking a question, I say, hey, I heard this thing the other day. They'll say, wait, go back to that. Let's, let's, let's investigate that thought, right? <laughs> right. Um, and, and Ron, I think, is on that level where if we're talking about something that he doesn't know about, he wants to be fully informed. I don't think that that's, universal throughout football um which can sometimes be closed-minded oh for sure i mean it, it we often hear about the coaches who are like it is essentially my way or the highway especially like on the college yes. level and that'll be like an interesting thing with like urban meyer in jacksonville how does he evolve from that and rivera as much as we could tell from this year he you know he talks about collaboration all the time he's talked about that now with marty herney and martin mayhew and um he's got an ego but you know it does feel like it's malleable i guess if that's the right way to use it like he's willing to He's willing to, to 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 listen and it isn't just what he wants, but at the same point, he's, you know, he has thoughts and he'll share them, but he also wants to hear uh what these other guys have to say. Um yeah. so 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 to that end, like you're in your spot, you've got to cover the whole league. And the Washington football team started the year wearing the black hat without question. They had so much going yeah. wrong with them this offseason from an organizational perspective. Dan Snyder for the last 20 years has been, you know, one of the bigger questionable owners we can just say even just in terms of the wins and the losses aspect and how to run a team and then they turned at some point during the year they became almost kind of lovable by the end you've got the alex smith comeback story you had ron rivera's own personal journey with cancer you had them making winning yeah. this crappy division taylor heineke in the playoffs is kind of fun but like from your perspective like on a sort of a week-to-week basis like what did you even like think about them because i don't remember them yeah coming up too much on in what you were doing which is understandable <laughs> to a degree so like what was your like your football thoughts on what yeah what, what this team was yeah it, it that's a great point about just the transformation i think that part of it is throughout the year first of all the nfc east was branded as a joke early and it remained that way and even when the football team started to make their run i think it was taken with a grain of salt by the national media because okay they're winning a division that that nobody nobody's going to take by the horns here. Right. Yeah. And I think that that, that played into, to a lot of their narrative. I think that as the year went on though, we started to realize we, as the, the punditry started to realize that the pass rush was no joke and that they had skill. I, mean, I obviously Terry McLaren was not a secret going into to last year, um, but everybody kind of understands that. 
and that they maybe even if they're a year away or a quarterback away or whatever it is that there's some there's some real talent on this team I don't think anybody expected them to beat the box or anything like that but I would say that there's a trans there was a transformation there um, maybe part of it is honestly you know how, how how often or how long it took you had the name change you had Jason Wright being hired you had Dan Snyder who was essentially from my perspective, from the national perspective, minimized. I didn't hear anything about Dan Snyder until December when, you know, the, the stuff with, with the minority owners and stuff and, and, and them trying to wrestle control of the team. Um, that was sort of separate. That was separate from the football. Um, and so it looked to me, and I, I know this is, listen, like my family's from, from the DC area. I have a lot of football team uh, fans in, in my family. And I, I don't want to uh, overstate this. But there were parts of last year where the football team looked like a, like it might be a well-run franchise, and <laughs> I that I, I again that is I'm not calling them a well-run franchise. I would no, never I'm, do that. I'm we, laughing we, at we, how, you, how you phrase it. No, just to be clear, I know. No, it might be good, I, but be I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just saying that there that it's so hard for me because it all you know we've seen this before. We've seen little mirages in the desert with, with the football team before, and so. Um, even though the pass rush is great, and even though there is talent on both sides of the ball, and even though I like Ron Vera's coach, the ingredients have been there before. Then. And so I I need to see more of it. But what I can say is I liked the building blocks, and I like I generally like the direction because I think the NFC East is in a weird spot. There's no, you know, the Eagles are, are out. Um, the the Giants are, are in a, a weird position right now. There's no law that says the Cowboys, I mean, listen, like obviously Dak Prescott was out for most of the year last year, but the Cowboys are pretty bad before Dak Prescott went out. Um, I think Dak Prescott's one of the best quarterbacks in football, but they were a mess last year um, and in all phases, even before he went out. So I, it's, I, I'm not expecting them, you know, I don't think they're a contender to win 12 or 13 games this year, um, but I am expecting them to legitimately compete in the division because it's a weird division and they, and they have talent on, again, on both sides of the ball. So, and that's what's so fascinating about all these things. Like everybody just wants to completely like crap all over. I mean, look, I'm with you. Every time they show some progress, you always have to remember Dan Snyder is there. They just went through this Dwayne Haskins thing not too, less than two years ago where he pushed them to, t- to draft this guy that basically nobody else in the building wanted to. That just happened. So who knows what will happen tomorrow, right? Um, so to I, speak. Ben, I, I was at – my first year covering the NFL was 2012. And that was the RG3 year. And I went to the game where they beat Dallas to, to, uh, to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Right. And I remember the RG3 press conference afterwards. I remember the, 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 the media and all that. And I remember RG3 hanging by his locker. And I remember the thought, like, this team is going to be good for a decade. Right. Like this team, sure. Mike Shanahan, RG3, you know, Alfred Morris was the star of that game. Obviously the running back's a different deal. But you look at both sides of the ball and you were just like, this team makes sense. I get it. They just beaten a, a Dallas team that, you know, had always been sort of floated as a, as a buzzy Super Bowl team in that era. And then it all came crashing down. Obviously, that's injuries. Obviously, that's Mike Shanahan leaving. But I'm just saying that I don't think there's any franchise over the past decade, let's say, that's had more stops and starts in a big way than the football team. And that's why, even though I have some optimism, it always has to be guarded. A hundred percent. And, you know, you talked about culture before I've preached this so many times that one of the big mistakes that Dan Snyder did that nobody talks about. It's not that he went out and signed all these 
older high price veterans or Bruce Smith's or Deion Sanders and that those things largely didn't work out. It's that when he did that, he simultaneously essentially gutted what it meant yeah. to be this team. Now, granted, they had at that point already been a few years removed from the Super Bowl teams, but th- there was no po- there was no focus on what does it mean to be a member of this organization. It was just high, these these high price players who effectively, be- because of money, became the leaders, and that was just meant mercenaries who had no connection to this place were the leaders. In recent years, even before Rivera came on board, they did start to get back to some of that old stuff. They, they, they focused more on the draft. They brought in guys. I mean, Ryan Kerrigan had been already there for a bit, Trent Williams too, but then, you know, guys like John Allen, Brandon Scherf, these are the types of guys that help now identify what it means positively <laughs> to be a part of this team. And now Rivera has taken it to another level. And that's why even this year when they were one in five, two and seven, the players, every time we would talk to them on Zoom, they overly kept talking about how much they really yeah. respect Rivera. And I could tell it wasn't just because he was battling through cancer, that there was the leader of men stuff, that he was really buying and helping them um, get to that next level. And I think that stuff is so important. And it does feel somewhat optimistic that he's able to, Rivera's able to do that. But again, we'll see. We'll see what happens with, with Snyder. Um going forward and there is this ownership fight and we're waiting for the nfl's report to come out and who knows what that what that'll right. bring yeah no it, it that that part is is the biggest part i mean the thing is and i know again I, I as someone who loves analytics and all that stuff the culture tends to start with ownership okay almost everywhere okay like the belichick is the greatest coach of all time brady is the best quarterback of all time but without the craft, the crafts could have screwed that up a hundred different ways. They did. Right. I'm not saying that the craft family, you know, did everything or, you know, was more influential than, than Brady or Belichick. I'm certainly not saying that. But what I am saying is the ownership can screw up things all the time. And this is something we've seen in Washington before. It's something we've seen in a lot of places. We're seeing it in Houston right now where they essentially had a franchise quarterback, a handful of blue chip players, and they, they screwed it all up. Right. And so that, again, that's why you have to, to be guarded a little bit. Um, but I mean, I, I, the, the X factor is what happens with this, with this ownership thing. And I, I actually, I don't, I don't know much about it. Uh, I'm sorry, excuse me. I know, I know a lot about it. I don't know much about what's going to happen um, because it's just such a mess. And, you know, now we got Jeff Bezos being rumored and, and as an owner and all that stuff. I mean, that's, that's, you know, my, my, my colleague, Danny Kelly likes to, to put circus tent, uh, a circus tent rating um, for the Seahawks. And he said that, you know, right now it's three out of five circus tents and it could be a five out of five for Russell demands a trade. You know, Washington is always sort of um, out of three and, you know, the Jeff Bezos stuff and the ownership thing where we're nearing 4.5 uh, on the ownership scale, but on the football scale, it's, it's, you know, it's pretty no drama at this point. Yeah. Oh, the ownership fight is that's where, that's where the fun is right now. We're, we're, uh there's going to be some more interesting stuff there without question. Um, all right. So we're talking with uh, Kevin Clark from the ringer. If you're, if you're listening to this, you probably already follow Kevin on Twitter, but if not go do that at, at by Kevin Clark. And of course, go watch uh, the slow news Newsday videos of that, uh, that that's up on the ringer and YouTube and all those fun places. Uh, let me ask you some actual football stuff. Yes. By, lo- by law, I have to ask every guest what, who's going to be the quarterback of this team uh, <laughs> next. We lose the you're lucky. You're the first one who doesn't have to discuss Alex Smith. Unless doesn't have wanna... to say Alex Smith. All right, unless right. Yeah, wanna... and, and, unless I want to say he's coming back on, on a deal now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, you know, it was interesting. I Like everybody, I thought that the GQ comments were fascinating. Um, and I was surprised by that. I think, you know, just to not talk about Alex Smith too much on, on a football team podcast, but um, since he's, he's leaving, but I, I would say that Jacksonville seemed like the most likely 
place because yeah, he absolutely. was with Urban Meyer um, because he knows that offense. You know, I did a story two or three years ago, talked to Dan Mullen a lot. And I, I think that no one really realizes how much the urban Dan Mullen offense was shaped by Alex Smith. Um, and he was their guy. And I think a lot of people look at Tebow as sort of the guy. And obviously Tebow took it forward and, and won one national championship was on the bench for another. Um, I think that people give him a lot of credit for how that offense evolved, but Alex Smith was the guy um, in Utah. And I think that there's, there's something to that. So I, it wouldn't surprise me to see. And also, I, you know, You've, you've been around now the team um, with Alex and I've been around the chiefs who've talked about Alex and I, people just like being around Alex. Um, he's a, he's somebody that I think all 32 teams, quite frankly, if the salary makes sense, would want him in the building. Um, so, and if the role works and all that stuff, if he comes in saying, I want to make a, t you know, a starting money and I want to be a starter. It's a different, it's a different deal. Um, but I don't know what, what that market would be. Um, who's going to be the quarterback. You know, attention to me. I was thinking about this team today. And I was thinking about the opportunity that they have in the short term because they've got a pass rush that is full of first round picks that are fairly cheap and much cheaper than they will be. Um, when Chase Young becomes a, you know, gets to his fourth year uh, and is due for an extension, that there will not be a lot of cheap things uh, about that situation. Okay, right. and it's almost, almost. You know, the Niners have had this a little bit with where they had a bunch of guys, a bunch of pass rushers hit at once. And they obviously had to trade one of them to Indy. Um, they may have chosen the wrong one. Um, but I think that there's there's something to be said for the fact that the the cheap defense or cheap D line or whatever it is, um, is, is a little bit like the rookie quarterback thing where eventually you're going to have to start paying those guys and, and then you lose your window a little bit. So I think that there's probably, I mean, I read David Aldridge's column on, on your guys' site, basically saying, try, try whatever it is, try whatever you can to go get uh, Deshaun Watson. I, I probably think that's unrealistic at this point. Obviously Russell Wilson is even more realistic, unrealistic because He's Washington's not even on the list of right, the Bears of made the list preferred. Not, not to, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Raiders <laughs> made the list. So, so let's put that in a different category. Um, I think you try to take as many big swings as possible, but then I think it's going to be a combination of Taylor Heineke and then a, a second tier guy, uh, Marcus Mariota, um, you know, someone like Mitch Trubisky, something like that, where a guy's just available. You know, I, I, I thought that the X factor of this offseason was going to be how many different guys became expendable as sort of collateral damage for other deals, right? Like if Matt Ryan ended up, if Terry Fontenot took the job and said, I'm, I'm going to get rid of Matt Ryan right now instead of next year, um, how much that would change things. Or, you know, hypothetically going into this offseason when I was like, you know, what happens when Matt, Matthew Stafford gets dealt? Well, the answer was golf doesn't become expendable because he goes to Detroit, right? Um, so he doesn't hit the free agent market. But I thought there were going to be a lot more kind of B plus, B minus quarterbacks on the open market. And it doesn't look like that's going to happen. And so a team like Washington, they're going to have have to settle, um, I think, I think, unless they can pull a rabbit out of their hat, they're going to have to settle for a, a guy who was a backup last year or a spot time, a spot time starter. Um, and then just hope that the Taylor, Taylor Haneke, uh, showed them something. See, like when, when you, when you pay attention to somebody from afar and you listen to their stuff, you think, okay, I think, I think we're on the same page. And then you're having a conversation and you realize that you are, cause I've been talking about this window that they have for the next yeah. two years because of exactly what you said, the defensive line, John Allen is up this year. He's on his fifth year option. So you can maybe have to start thinking about extending him. But other yeah. than that, 
They're good until 2023. That's the, so that's the year essentially when three of their defensive linemen are up for something. And Terry McLaurin is also up for free agency. And at that point, things get expensive if you're going to keep everybody or a lot of these guys. So you have this window now, like teams with the rookie quarterback, exactly what you said. Yep. The problem is they went to get Stafford. It didn't work out. And now it's left with sort of these misfit toys. And, you know, I, I, I've been pushing the Mariota, Trubisky, Winston, like, upside guys Winston, and Colt, yeah but no i don't i don't think he's getting out of new orleans it doesn't sound like um so yeah so that's sort of the problem it does feel like they're kind of screwed i'm also glad you didn't mention cam newton i do hear national people just reflexively do that but they could have signed him last year for free and instead they traded a fifth round pick for kyle allen so i'm not buying uh, uh it, it, yeah it depends on the money and it depends on the role and for me you know, you think about someone like like Mariota. Mariota and Cam have some of the same issues in, in as much as that they are both two of the most talented quarterbacks in football, quite frankly, but it's it's injury and it's, and it's scheme fit um, for both those guys. And, you know, I've been a huge fan of, of Mariota's entire career, and I think it could work. Um, the problem has been, and this is not, I'm not the first person to say this, is it to run the, the, the full – Marcus offense, you know, what he did at Oregon, that would, that would leave him open to a lot of shots and he keeps getting injured. And so if you're going to take a flyer on him and, and the Raiders already did, uh, it, it's going to need to be cheap and it's going to need to have some, some injury protection in there because I just think the only way to make that work is to go full spread, let him run, let him be the athlete he is. And I just think that unfortunately, I've talked to people in Tennessee about this before, it's just not, he just can't stay healthy um, when that happens. And so I don't, I, I, I definitely think he's worth taking a look at. And if the money's right and the, the role is right and, and all that, it, it, it's, I think that's an okay option, I guess I would say. Right. I mean, at least with Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke, they at least have something if it all falls apart. So that's why I would take the risk on a guy like Mariota with upside yes. because you at least have something already um all right you mentioned random questions you ask people it would therefore be wrong of me to not ask the <laughs> questions i have for people before i have to get, let you get out of here so here we go uh i don't i don't really call this anything but we'll just say five questions to make it sound like amazing i i had planned for this um uh, twitter you've got people that follow you on twitter who is somebody that doesn't follow you on twitter that you wish did oh that's a great question okay i actually have one of this so uh so I can't figure this one out. So Jason Isbell follows like everyone at the ringer, but not me. Like he's liked my tweets before. I think he's retweeted me some, sometimes. And my friend, my producer, Jason Gallagher, like last year, he sent me a screen grab when Isbell followed him. And I was just like, man, I, this is, uh, I don't understand this one. And I honestly, I don't, I mean, I, I've never met him. I don't know him um, or anything like that. But I always thought that was really funny that essentially it's like, if you work at the ringer, you get followed by Jason Isbell. For some reason, I've escaped. I've escaped the Isbell follow. <laughs> uh, I, I, I like that not only is it specific, he doesn't follow you, but he, you're annoyed that everybody else he's following. I, that would bother me. Well, it, if he followed a hundred people, I'd be like, that's fine. Like it's, he doesn't know who I am. That's all good. And I, I don't think he knows who I am. I just kind of think he follows kind of random people on Twitter, which is funny. Someone does a good tweet. So it's not, I, it, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to get mad that like the rock doesn't follow me right, right, because right. the rock doesn't follow Jason Gallagher, but right. the, you know, it's both, you know, that's it. That's all. That's all Jason. Um, you are a noted Orlando magic fan. So this may, yeah. uh, this next question may, may come from there. We'll see who's your all time favorite athlete. Wow. Um, that's a great question. It changes 
it changes depending on what sport I'm just completely obsessed with obsessed with at this point I would say growing up and this is kind of off the board growing up Dennis Scott was my favorite magic player on those Penny and Shaq teams because he would he was a little less athletic and you know he was just not I mean how are you going to relate to Shaq when you're when you're I don't know how old it was I I love Dennis Scott right he's he's from around here uh you know lethal weapon three the Georgia Tech I mean the guy just let it fly oh yeah Dennis Scott was so fun yeah I mean he was just like he was he was a great shooter um like you said he just let it fly I I really liked watching Dennis Scott play um so I I think that I don't really have necessarily a favorite like athlete of all time, a guy who I had posters on the wall of, but definitely of those magic teams, Dennis Scott was number one. I would say when I think most kind of wishfully about an era of basketball, it'd be the, the second magic finals team, the 2009 team with Richard Lewis and Hito Turkoglu. And those guys, it was a little bit older. You know, when you're the thing about the Penny and Shaq teams was that I was so young that I was like, this is normal. Like well, I'm living in the, Orlando was a small town back then. And I lived about a mile from, from the arena. My, my parents obviously still do. And I didn't realize how strange it was that one of the two of the most famous athletes in the world, like there was a little Penny and Tyra Banks Super Bowl commercial that was filmed about two blocks from my house. And I remember, I think it was the, uh, the Steelers Cowboys Super Bowl. And I remember uh, watching it and just being like, oh, that's cool. That's that's two blocks from my house. As far as I didn't see that. And then, like, I don't know, ten years later, when I was older, I was like, you know, this was really weird. Like, this was really weird that, but that my neighborhood became the epicenter of like American culture yeah. for like a year. This is very strange. And so it wasn't until 2019 that I was like, oh, okay, I can actually be old enough to appreciate this. Um, yeah, I can I can understand that. Um, all right. What's a Hall of Fame that you qualify to enter based on a hobby or a habit? My, my answer is always uh, I qualify to be in the 7-Eleven Hall of Fame based on how often yeah. I uh, visit the uh, all, all locations in the greater okay. uh, Maryland area. I'm trying to enter the Florida Golf Hall of Fame um, as I as I live in St. Augustine, Florida until next week. Um, but I don't, I don't think I'm going to get there just yet. Um, all right. The answer actually is... I, I doubt, I doubt that many people have been to more and more often uh, trips to Panera than me. And let me tell you why. <laughs> so I haven't been able to do it much in last year, but when I go to a facility, an NFL facility, which I do, I don't know, 50 times a year during normal times, afterwards, you need a bite. And you need internet. Those are the two things. And in most places, and you, you know this, I mean, the, the, the football team facility is not, you know, not in, in Georgetown or anything. It's in, it's in the suburbs and that's most teams. And um, I just need to sit down and write and report and transcribe or whatever it is. So I go straight to Panera. I've probably been, I couldn't even imagine what the actual number is. I've definitely been to the closest facility closest Panera to an NFL facility for all 32 teams. That's, that's an absolute. And then, so when I do my camp tour, you're looking at like six or 7,000 miles, um, just going basically starting in the Northeast and then making a circle around America, going down to Kansas city and then Atlanta and then back up to the Northeast. And I would say that I kind of know, like you'll be in like, you know, the middle of Missouri and I'll be like, okay, I actually don't need to put the GPS on this Panera. Like I've been in this Panera three times before <laughs> because I've, I've done the trip from Kansas city to Indianapolis. I know this. So it is, it's that. Um, and it's actually strange uh, 
just how often I end up at the, at the same Panera, just in the middle of absolute nowhere. Um, is, there so like that, a, that, that, is there a punch card situation for how often you, you're showing up? It's, they have a punch card I've never signed up for. I don't know why. Oh my I God. Mean like, but it's always on work trips. So it's no, not really a big deal, but um, it's, it's, I, I'm my wife, whenever she's around for it, she's always like, why aren't you, a, wouldn't you just be like the all time number one member of the Panera, whatever it's, right. called, I don't know what it's called, uh, Panera card. Like, wouldn't you be like the, when they retire your number? And I was like, I just don't, you I don't need like, those stats. You could be like George Clooney and up in the air instead of getting your name yeah. on the side of a plane to get on the side of a Panera. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so if there was any hall of fame, it would be that I'm trying to think of what else I do. Again, I play a lot of golf. I, I, I used to, um, I used to box a lot uh, just for exercise, um, but unfortunately you can't do a lot of that stuff. So a lot of my hobbies have been uh, interrupted as, as everything has in the last year. Um, and you know, I'll be doing different stuff when I get back to normal. <laughs> uh, right, I'm going to skip this one I had that I'm going to have to, maybe I'll ask you later just for fun, but yeah, let, me, let me switch it to football for the, for the last two before I get you out of here. So beyond quarterback, everybody wants to give Washington a receiver. They linked him with Allen Robinson and not link. I guess yeah. happening, but like, that's a guy to, put into all right here are some options you tell me you have to pick one of these you tell me which one you would pick these numbers are based on what spo track projects for these guys mm-hmm. Allen robinson four for 80 that's 20 million a year juju smith schuster five for 80 i would argue that maybe you need a slot more than an outside guy but okay curtis samuel the carolina connection four yeah. for 50 Corey davis four for uh 39 and a half or go straight veteran, but go on the go on the no long term yeah. commitment like AJ Green one for six. AJ Green, yeah. Oh, I AJ Green one for six. That's, that's what, risky. That's what that's. I will say that's risky only because it's been, you know, he had the the wash of a 2019 season and then right. he wasn't that good last year. Um, Allen Robinson is going to command an absolute boatload of money. I would say to try, try on Juju, see what the market is. Curtis Samuel at four years, 50 is a little pricey for me. I think there might be better options. And I would also say, listen, I, I don't know. It's like what we're talking about with the window and the free agency thing and just kind of spend now while you have that window because you're not going to be spending on a quarterback. You're not going to be spending on Allen or going forward, Chase Young, like you will you will in three years. Um, but I would say that, you know, I saw Mel Kuyper say today that wide receiver is the deepest position in the draft this year. And I kind of think... You might want to go the cheaper route um, and then try to to hit on a guy uh, in the second round or something like that. Um, I saw your mock draft did not have a linebacker in the first round, not a wide receiver. And I kind of agree with that. I mean, if you talk to scouts now, one of the big things you hear all the time is that it's getting to that point. I'm Listen, I'm not – there are absolute monster receivers coming out of college who deserve to be top five picks, okay, deserve to be top ten picks. In the first round last year, the Vikings, I promise you, are not regretting drafting Justin Jefferson. They enjoy (laughs) having Justin Jefferson (laughs) on the team. Having said that, we're getting to a point when you listen to people in football that wide receiver is such a deep position that if a guy is a borderline first round pick, you probably you can probably wait on him because there's there's just so much wide receiver talent. The athletes at that position the seven on seven just environment where they grow up and it's kind of the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour rule thing. Um, these guys know how to play. No one has benefited more, maybe, maybe quarterback, but that's a separate discussion. No one has benefited more from the trends of football 
than the wide receivers, whether that's playing year round and catching a thousand passes and all that stuff. Um, you know, I, I did a story a number of years ago and I talked to a bunch of seven on seven coaches and high school coaches and they say, listen, the way football is now is if you live in Texas or Florida or California or any of these states, and probably, probably, you know, I include some of the South, you know, Virginia and stuff like that. Um, you're playing year round now, which didn't used to happen. And you're playing from the time you're five years old in just very simple man-to-man kind of cover one, right? Like it's not, it, this isn't like, I think a lot of times, maybe 20 years ago, a lot of guys started in middle school and the schemes were a little more complex or whatever. And now it's just like, okay, we're going to play in June and it's going to be one guy who's overseeing 22, guys, 22 kids and they're just going to roll the ball out, right? And because of the simplified version of football at the lower ranks, I would say at the athleticism is more important and then you get absolute, like totally well-refined wide receivers and te- totally well-refined quarterbacks. Those are the two positions that are benefiting from the lower level. I know this is a long answer for, for why wide receivers are uh, plentiful right now. But what, I, what I'm saying is, is that wide receivers generally are entering a golden era. And I think that you can try to find a lot of this production in the middle rounds of the draft that did not exist 5, 10, 15 years ago. Good, good, very good answer. Very good football answer. And I really did. I agree with most of that, but because it was such a good football answer, the last question, I'm going to go back to the one I didn't ask you before, because yes. we, need, we, need yes. to, we, we need to end on, on silliness to some degree. My, my friend, Steve Wino came up with this. I hope he doesn't mind. I came, I said this to, but he, I, I'm stealing this from him. Um, I just think this is funny. Who, who would narrate your own personal hell? I, I'm, I thought about this. To, I'll give you a second to think. For me, I was like, as somebody who Dick Vitale drives me crazy, and as somebody uh, who can't stand yeah. Duke, he would just talk him talking about Duke and how great Krzyzewski is and diaper dandies would drive me insane, without question. So for me, I, I, I think I'm going Dick Vitale. Pure I will Dick say Vitale. this. I will say this. I would say there was a time in my life, especially when I was at the University of Miami, where it would have been Urban Meyer. But I've actually with the Ohio state stuff, I kind of understood urban Meyer a little bit more, especially covering football and all that stuff. And I, I think from a, just a purely football standpoint, I think he's, he's a very, very good coach. And as a football coach, um, there's a lot more respect for, for, for me there. Um, I would say any Laker fan talking about the 2009 finals for me would, <laughs> is just any Laker fan. Cause they all, the problem is if anyone who watched that series, you know, Courtney Lee had the layup that he missed in game two. And then obviously Dwight Howard missed the free throws. Derek Fisher goes down. That was such a close finals. And all Laker fans, and I, would, I actually include national media in this as well. They all just sort of dismiss it because it was 4-1, right? And they all dismiss it and they all say, oh, that was, that team didn't belong there. And it's like, no, please watch it. So any Laker fan narrating, talking about the 2009 finals would be, would be my own personal hell. And then I'm a huge, huge, huge Tottenham Hotspur fan. Um, and so any, I would say probably some, you know, Arsene Wenger talking about winning or something uh, would be, would, would be, he's the Arsenal manager, a former long-time Arsenal manager. Uh, that would be some, some place I'd really want to get out of. I, 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 I like that my, my friend's a big Arsenal fan, so. I'm aware of, uh, aware of him a little bit. Um, Kevin, man, I really appreciate the time. I really appreciate the uh, the insight. And everybody, everybody go uh, read, watch everything Kevin does up on the ringer. Really good stuff, man. Appreciate it. Uh, stay safe. We'll talk soon. Anytime. Thanks. All right. Many thanks to Kevin Clark. I definitely enjoyed that conversation. Uh, good. Really, I was glad to talk about 
Rivera in that way because, you know, um, eventually we're going to get back there. Uh, we're talking so much about things that may or may not happen. It's good to talk about something we know is going to happen, which is Ron Rivera running this show. And Kevin's obviously got some good insight. Go read his articles uh, that he mentioned on The Ringer or uh, go Google them wherever you got to find them. Um, all right. So that's it for this episode of the Standard Groom Only podcast. Uh, I don't know if I'll have another one this week. If there's news breaks to you know something of note, we'll probably jump in. Uh, but other than that, I already have some, some inter- interesting pods lined up here in the near future. So I'm excited to get to that. Uh, of course, if, if, if you've now at the end of this pod, an hour in, and you think I need more standing, what else can we do here? You know, I encourage you to go back and look at the back catalog here. Uh, obviously, the Jay Gruden interview was a lot of fun. Uh, Joe House from The Ringer, another Ringer person, he and I talked a lot about the Wizards. Wizards have gotten a lot better since then, though, so maybe don't listen to that one. Um, Brandon Bean from the Buffalo Bills, the G, their GM also offered insight into Ron Rivera and Marty Herney. A lot of other ones. I think we're up to episode, I think this is episode 47, I want to say, 46, 47. So there's plenty here to, to dive into. I encourage everybody to uh, to do that. Um, thanks so much for listening, for the reviews, just for being you. <laughs> That's it for now. Ben Stanek signing off. And until next time, see ya.